Good morning, everyone. I want to show you something absolutely amazing today. This is Drippy Dan, card number 23A of the first run series in 1985 of the Garbage Pail Kids. Now, for those of you who are uninitiated and not appreciating the full weight of this, here today, you got to come back with me to about 1984, early 1985, and Cabbage Patch Kids are all the rage. Now, for those of you who are initiated with the Cabbage Patch Kid phenomenon, this was the hot toy, the hot collectible of the mid-1980s. I mean, people would stand in line outside toy stores at the time trying to get these coveted Cabbage Patch Kids that would be selling on the black market for well over $100 to $200 to $300 in its day. And what they basically were were these like ratty-faced kids. And, and, And they were intentional. It was so intentional because the idea was these were orphans. And what you would do is have to find these ugly, discarded, unwanted, ratty-faced orphans that are rejected by the world, and you would adopt them, right? You would pay money to the toy store, not to purchase, but to adopt this monstrosity. And what you would get with it is an individual name on a custom-made birth certificate, and on the heels of the Cabbage Patch craze came this. It was our middle school rebellion against all the foolishness of moms and middle school girls everywhere and what they delighted in, fight the man, right? And I collected these things like a fiend. Let me, let me show you a couple more of them just to kind of give you the sense because what they would do is it was all about word plays with the concomitant art um, on, on common names. So here's Adam Bomb. Give it a second, right, to to kind of sink in. And there was 88 of these in the first run. And what we would do in sixth grade, fifth and sixth grade, is every day after school, we would run like four blocks down to this little corner market that sold them up there by the candy aisle. Whatever money we could find, whatever money we collected, we we paid these people a fortune seeking out these cards. And like all true collectibles, there were certain cards like a... Drippy Dan, while humorous in its own right, really isn't that clever, right? That were, were called common. They, you would get these in droves. Every second pack would have a Drippy Dan in it. But the coveted car, I mean the golden jewel, the rare, was Drunk Ken. <laughs> no one could get their hands on a drunk can. And when you're sitting there with 87 cards of an 88 card deck and the elusive drunk Ken is, av- is, a- is abating you, the-, the obsession level, right? To get this, going to the store, opening a pack, going to the store, opening a pack, pack after pack after pack until, until that beautiful moment when my friend walked down to the store on that serendipitous day and he brings the pack back to school and he opens it and they're gleaming in all its glory, right? 
drunk Ken. Now, you got to understand that teachers hated these. And my friend, in this amazing gesture of grace, gave me his drunk Ken. I learned something about Jesus that day. but made the mistake of letting it sit on my desk. Because when you get a drunk Ken, you don't hide it under a bushel. No, you let it shine, right? And Mr. Dreyer, my sixth grade teacher, is walking the aisles, and he sees it, and he looks, and this claw of hell comes down, grabs the drunk Ken and crinkles it in his hand. And any of you who made that, oh, sound know exactly what this means because what is a collectible dependent on? Mint condition. And I learned something about Satan that day. (laughs) And the power of evil. We fortunately were able to rescue drunk Ken from the trash. He so carelessly and wantonly threw it in afterwards. But the collection was never quite the same again. But what's amazing to me is I look back at these things, and as fun and funny as they are, do you have these moments when you look back at your own collectibles and you're like, what was I thinking? Like, what was this obsessive drive to have to get all of these and and in such a way that seemed to just kind of consume life. Now, for those of you here who are a little too quick to mock, I want to step back in time for some of the older generation here. It was fascinating. Um, Unplanned, but Mark and I were proofreading the slides this morning before this ran, and he saw this one here. And he went, oh my gosh, I've got tubs of those things sitting in my basement. Who here collected the Hummel figurines? Right? Yeah, I wouldn't admit it either. (laughs) But from what I'm told, these were the rage. Because really, how could you not have something as creepy and adorable as that just donning your house on every spare shelf of counter and cabinet space? Right? And people would get these things, and they would hold on to them because we know they're going to be worth something, right? Get them. And those rare ones, you better find them. It's fascinating. You can go on eBay today, and the rare ones will sell for over $2,000. What's even more interesting is that despite the fact that they'll sell for $2,000, you will not find one single bid. One more case of one of these classical, classic, have-to-have-it collectible that I think people look back on and go, really? How about this? One more case of a worthless collectible. Look at how grumpy he is. Isn't he cute? I would be grumpy too if I was a precious moment. And for those of you who still are not with it, how about this? No joke on this. 
the Beanie Baby craze when it hit in the late 90s, Tina and I, my wife, we were living out in Denver. And to those of you who know Denver, the airport, at least in the, the late 90s, is really not in Denver. It's like, it feels like it's an hour away out in the Colorado wilderness. But word got out in the Denver Beanie Baby community that the Denver airport, this is pre-911, mind you, when you didn't need a ticket to get past security, that the Denver gift shops were carrying the coveted Beanie Babies. And word got out that on Thursday mornings at 9 o'clock, the new shipment would come in. And we had a friend who worked in that gift shop, and she would tell us about these, like, these successful respected businessmen in their suits on the way to meetings who would stand in lines, even risking missing their flights to get these things. And she had a lot of fun with it because if she knew someone was rushing to catch a flight and was there to get a Beanie Baby, she would intentionally go slower in her work. But people spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to get the select Beanie Baby of choice. And today, I don't know about you, but I go to garage sales and I see these things selling for a dime a piece. And I think all of us can identify at some level with these collectibles, these things that are hot rages for a time that we just have to have. But then when you step forward later in history and look back, you're just left going, I mean, yeah, they're cute, but what was I thinking? Why was I so obsessed with these things, why did they consume my life? Every collectible, it seems, is driven by a couple of basic things. One is this. Someone else has something that I don't. And people are fawning over them and I want them to think I'm cool too. Or there's this. There's only a limited supply. And if I don't get it now, I've lost my chance for happiness. Or this. Well, you gotta have the whole collection. What are these manifestations of? To me, I just kind of see it as one basic thing. The quest for more. Now, this past couple of weeks, we've been looking at a a, a set of very specific questions that are asked in the Bible. And these are questions that are asked by God. And they hinge on this three-letter word, why? Questions that God is asking his people throughout history. This, this kind of, like, why? This, like, what are you thinking, right? This, this, this sense of almost confusion God has as to why people are acting and behaving in a certain way. And one of my favorites comes out of the, uh, the depths of the prophet Isaiah. And it says this. Why do you spend on what doesn't satisfy. Let me read this to you. From Isaiah 55, he writes, Come, 
all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And why do you labor on what doesn't satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear. Come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. I've come to realize that even though we grow older, collectibles don't really ever go away. They just start graduating on to bigger things, bigger toys, bigger things that capture us that we want to collect. I don't even need to make the litany of them right now because I'm looking at eyes and you're not. You know what they are. The things that consume us with this quest for more. Things that we think we need to have because if we have this, then we'll be happy. Whatever your hobby is, whatever your boat or car or house or net worth, whatever your scores or grades or whatever it might be that drives you, what is it that you are trying to collect voraciously? What is it that if you just had a little bit more of your convinced happiness would come your way? I came across a more telling article on this, and I want to read it to you today. Let me show you the headline. Greer, South Carolina. Local man Phil Arlington is reportedly confident that Apple's newest iPhone will finally be the object that fulfills his innermost longings. Reclining at his desk while speaking to reporters Tuesday, Arlington proudly displayed his collection of obsolete Apple products, ranging from the very first iteration of the iPhone all the way through his iPhone 7 Plus, which was cutting edge until the week after it was released. Some people question whether the newest iPhone will be the one to do the trick, Arlington said excitedly. But I mean, this beast has a wide array of new features and even a processor that's marginally faster than the last one. Imagine that. Plus, it's more expensive, so you know it has to be better. Surely, this one will fulfill my most innate desire for purpose and fulfillment. Arlington's speech then trailed off as he stared out the window At nothing of note, the 32-year-old mechanical contractor sighing heavily for no reason in particular. Maybe I'll get it in a new color. That'll definitely satisfy my inherent ache for meaning, reassuring himself that the inanimate object would make him whole inside. At publishing time, Arlington had begun looking at new trucks as well to replace his two-year-old car. 
which was still in top working order, but had reportedly somehow failed to fill the gaping hole in his heart. You've been there. I have. What is that thing that you spend on? And I'm not just talking money. That you spend of yourself on your energy, your time, your worry, your resources. What is that thing that you seek? Thinking that if you just had it, happiness would be yours. And all the while, I hear Isaiah echoing in my head, God saying, come. You who are thirsty, you who are hungry, and and, and can we just make the leap here this morning that Isaiah is not talking about actual water or food? Come, you who are thirsty, and you who are hungry, come by and eat without money, without cost. Come to the waters. Why are you spending on what is not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? Listen, listen to me, he says. Hear me, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. I don't know if you caught it, but it struck me as amazing as I was kind of going through this Isaiah passage and trying to memorize it and doing this together. How many times the prophet says in this three-verse chunk, things like, come and listen. He says it over and over again. Come, no, no, really, come, come. Come, listen, here. No, 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 you, yeah, yeah. In the second of the back row there, you, here, and, and you over there. Listen, listen to me, because you're not getting it. You're blind, you're deaf, you're running after this stuff that doesn't satisfy. Listen to me. Come to me, and you will find what you are looking for to satisfy your soul. I think it reveals something that this quest for more is nothing more than the rotten fruit of a dissatisfied spirit. And God is sitting there with arms wide open, extending this invitation, saying, you will find what you are looking for in me. Blaise Pascal, you may know the guy, wrote this. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. All of us have this dissatisfaction inside, this yearning that there has to be something that will fill this hole. And we try, don't we, to fill it with more and more. 
more family time, more possessions, more of doing the right thing, more of whatever it is that you've made of value in your life, thinking that if we just get more, the hole might be filled. But I'm here to tell you today that hole is a black hole. And no matter how much you try to fill it with, it will never be satisfied. And in the midst of this, God comes and says, I have what you are looking for. You will find that quenching of your thirst and that satisfaction to your hunger. In me, come to me, he says, and your souls will live. They'll live. Now, I want to show you one more collectible today that I think demonstrates one more way people try to fill this hole in a way that I think we need to be hyper aware of. In two days, we have Halloween. Anyone dressing up? That's too bad. (laughs) 500 years ago, though, it was marked by another event. Because Halloween really means nothing more than All Hallows' Eve. Contrary to popular opinion and contrary to a lot of evangelical opinion, Halloween is actually a religious holiday. And what it was was a final day right before All Saints' Day would come, kind of like we celebrate Christmas Eve, to, to, to welcome and, and, and kind of usher it in in a full array of ways that I'm not going to get in today. But 500 years ago, this Halloween marks another significant event that really had to do with a 16th century collectible. Let me show it to you. What you're looking at here today is what is called a papal indulgence. If you've studied history or stayed awake, maybe sometime in the course of your life, You've heard something like these, and and this is a a particularly attractive one. They didn't all look this great, but you could see, right, why this would be collectible. Here's the idea behind it. Because of some abuses in the Christian world at the time, the religious leaders of the day were hawking these things as the greatest, most important collectible to ever have. See, if you bought one of these, you were assured of a certain level of forgiveness or blessing from God. Talk about trying to fill a hole. As they would sell them, there was a phrase that they would say, when the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs, meaning by this and your time in the idea of the day, this place called purgatory, your time would be less. Now, we can look back at these things called indulgences, which were the hot collectible of 1516. And we can look back and we can laugh. But you know, I look today at how people try to fill that hole in their heart 
with other kinds of spiritual things. If I could just do more. If I could just be more. If I can just collect the entire set of Christian practices, Christian attitudes and Christian ways, if I can memorize enough Bible passages or come to church enough or whatever it is, if I just prayed more, if I just did this preacher's seven-step process, then my whole would be filled. It's cast as a quest for holiness, which on a surface level is a good thing. But I've come to believe that for so many is really nothing more than a facade of the same variety if I just do more. And all the while, God is telling you, you who come to places like these may be seeking to fill that hole with what you do, saying, just come to me. You're thirsty, just come to the waters because I have them in abundance. You who are hungry, come, buy and eat, buy, buy the choicest of things, wine, milk, without cost, without money, without charge to you. I am giving it to you abundantly for free. Listen to me, he says. It's yours. Come to me and your soul will delight in the richest affair. You will find life for your soul. It is no surprise to me when Jesus says things like these. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. If you're here today and you're hungry, and I don't mean physically hungry, if you're here today and you're thirsty, and I don't mean physically thirsty, and you're trying to cram more and more and more and more in to satisfy? May I suggest another way? Set aside your quest for more. Set aside spending and laboring for what ultimately doesn't satisfy and find instead the only one who can fill that vacuum-shaped hole in your soul and fill it to the full. Because I believe there's nothing else in this world that will otherwise ultimately satisfy. So I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And I want to invite you 
can I use a 16th century term, maybe renounce? Renounce some of the things today that you have chased after for meaning and sought to fill that soul with and ask Jesus and his spirit to come and fill it instead. If you would, please rise with me. And pray with me. And take these words of Jesus from John 6 and let him guide you through this. Just take a few minutes on your own to pray, to connect with God, to, to confess, to replace, to ask him to replace the other things you chase instead. Let's pray. God, you've blessed us with so many good things in this world, things to enjoy. But Lord, nothing will ultimately fill that space in our hearts as well a relationship with you. Forgive us, God, when we run from you and try to fill it with other things. Forgive us when we neglect you and seek true meaning, happiness, and fulfillment in the gifts you give that ultimately, while wonderful, will never satisfy. For any of us today, God, who have been shoving our souls and our lives <clears throat> filled with other things in the quest for meaning, forgive us. Draw us near today. Give us ears to hear that we will, in fact, listen to your prophets, to your son, inviting us to come and eat and drink of him who is the bread of life. This we pray. And if you'd pray this uh, brief confession prayer with me. I confess to Almighty God, before all of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault by my own most grievous fault. God Almighty, have mercy on me. Forgive me all my sins. Bring me from death to life. 
This is what he says to you. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, and he who comes to me will never be thirsty again. I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. He who is in me will have springs of living waters bursting forth from within him. I am the bread of life. Take and eat without money and without cost.